You are listening to the VBAC Link Podcast, and this is episode number 72. Holy cow, 72 episodes. But <laughs> really, it's like 86 or something. Oh my we gosh. have special episodes, That's right? amazing. I love it. We're going to do something fun it. for our 100th episode. Oh. It's going to be like in December sometime. It's coming. We're going to make a plan. All right, you guys. Yeah. Special or episode 100 is going to be special, but today we have special or not special episode. <laughs> it's just regular. <laughs> we have episode 72. But it's special. And this one is special. I want to introduce you guys to our friend Kimberly. She is beyond amazing. I could just rant and rave about her for days. She was actually my own client as well, and she had a VBAC after two C-sections, and it was a birth center transfer to the hospital after five days oh of gosh. labor. Oh my gosh, it, it was, was an amazing. induction, and wow, she'll she'll just tell you all of it and about her water being broken. You guys, this this story is going to inspire, so do not leave. Just don't leave. Lock your kids in their rooms. Yep. Just Throw some listening. granola bars at him. She, yep, because she's amazing. You're going to be on the edge of your seat. She's amazing. Her <laughs> education is amazing, and I know that she's going to empower you. But, of course, we have a review of the week, so I want to hurry and turn the time over to Julie before we get into Kimberly's beautiful story. Well, thank you, Megan. I am so excited for Kimberly's story, too, because I had, like, a little, like, I feel like, like, 0.00333%. <laughs> A part um, of it. Part of this yes. birth. And I'm excited to hear how the rest, how before and after, how everything unfolded. So the review of this week is from Jameth8917 on Apple Podcasts. And she says, I binged this podcast and even re-listened to several episodes Aww. while prepping for my VBAC. I honestly don't think I could have had my successful VBAC if it wasn't for this podcast. Around 38 weeks, an OB at my practice tried to scare me into a repeat cesarean, and it almost worked. I was in such a bad headspace. I reached out to Megan and Julie on Instagram, and they responded to me. They sent me to the research and to the episodes that helped me conquer my fears. I felt so alone and truly hopeless at this time, and they filled me back up and made me feel stronger than ever. This podcast also introduced me to things like chiropractic care, spinning babies, and gave me the strength to switch to a midwife during my last month of pregnancy. This podcast is changing the lives of so many women. I am forever grateful for finding it. Dude, goosebumps. Mm-hmm. I just got That's goosebumps. Amazing. I love that. Like yeah. It's reviews like that from people like you listening right now that really help us know that um, what we're doing is helping women all over the place in their li- in the little chunks of their world. And that's what we set out to do. We want to change the VBAC world and the cesarean world one woman and one birth at a time. And so when we get reviews like this one, it really touches our heart, tugs at our heartstrings, and lets us know that we are doing the right thing by helping you. So if you haven't had a chance yet, will you go find us on Facebook or on Google or on Apple Podcasts and Give us a rating and just tell us what this podcast means to you. And it doesn't have to be long and detailed, but we always love the reviews. And who knows, maybe next week we are going to be reading your review. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. 
Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right, women of strength. I just seriously cannot wait for Kimberly to tell you in her own words because I obviously lived it through myself and Julie was like, I lived she it said, vicariously she, through text message. Yes, yeah, she did. <laughs> um, and you were there for a minute. You were there for a minute. Um, so, Kimberly, let's turn the time over to you and let's hear this amazing story of yours because, girl, you are amazing. Thank you. And I'm so excited to share my stories. And I think that review was perfect because chiropractic care and switching providers in my last month of pregnancy definitely affected my... Um, Dude, I'm thing. so on it today. <laughs> <laughs> like, I got tingles while you were reading it. It was amazing. But where all VBAC stories begin is with a C-section. So with my first... Well, first of all, my mom had eight children, all vaginally. All of them... Well, she had one epidural with her fifth baby because they were like oh this is gonna be your last baby you should have the best experience she got an epidural <laughs> and she hated it <laughs> she said, so she had to have some more <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so so that's kind of where I was coming from is birth gonna be so easy like we took a childbirthing class in the hospital and it was ta- actually taught by a nurse doula and I loved it. and I was like oh that's as much natural as I need she's a doula she was pretty awesome you know that's it and so and we were, you know, newly married. We'd only been married for three months when I got pregnant. And wow. then we moved, we moved to Kansas when I was about 20 weeks pregnant. So I actually never d- took the gestational diabetes test that pregnancy. I thought I had because I thought the test was just they draw your blood and they tell you if you have diabetes or not. I didn't know you actually had to drink a drink and stuff. So in mm. Kansas, when they asked me, oh, do you have, you know, did they, you do the test? I was like, yeah, I think so. Like they drew my blood. So that should be it. <laughs> which later I think led to me being, um, having diabetes with, you know, undiagnosed. But so with my first, I didn't like my provider too much, but I didn't, I felt bad switching. And, um, and I thought like, oh, I don't want to be picky. You know, it's just an OB. It's going to be fine. And then I thought I felt privileged that I got the same OB each uh, appointment because there were eight OBs and I um, and they asked me do you want to meet all the OBs or do you just want to stick with this one Um, and I was like oh I'll just stick with him if I can and so then I just kept seeing him which now I know I should have tried to meet you know every single provider in the office and so because when I went into labor I got the practitioner that I had never met before and so and my mom another thing she had all of her babies two to four weeks early so when I hit my due date. I was like, what is this? This is not happening. (laughs) This is horrible. And then I was swollen. I had to pee every two seconds. I felt miserable. And, you know, the OB just told me to stop eating salt, which actually made things worse. And um, when you have diabetes, you shouldn't really be, I don't know, you shouldn't really be restricting salt when you're pregnant, unless you're like eating cans of food for every meal. But so I went into labor. Well, my water's ruptured at 41 weeks and five days, I think. I was nine days overdue. Or, yeah, nine days overdue. My water's ruptured at seven in the morning. And then by 7 p.m., I was still, because it was just a trickle, like a pink trickle. And my husband was like, it's fluid. I shouldn't go to work today. And I was like, no, it's fine. I'm not having contractions. So then by midnight, 
I was feeling horrible. I just had excruciating pain in my hips. I wasn't feeling any contractions, just pain in my hips. But we were like, let's just go to the hospital and test it out. So we tested it, the amniotic fluid. It was amniotic fluid. So they admitted me because I'd already had ruptured waters for so long. So they're like, well, you don't look like you're in labor, but that's weird. You're supposed to be in labor. So let's just admit you, get you on Pitocin. So at 7 in the morning the next day, so now I'm 10 days overdue, they started giving me Pitocin. And... They had it up at 20 for a long time, and my uterus wasn't contracting. It was just a solid mass of pain, and they kept asking me, tell us when you feel a contraction. I told them I just feel pain. They put in the vaginal sensor, and it was, and they told me, oh, your uterus is just continuously contracted. That's why you're not feeling contractions. And so they'd lower the Pitocin. I finally started contracting. I got to four centimeters. But they were like, well, you're almost 36 hours of your waters being ruptured. Let's turn the Pitocin back on to get you going faster. I stopped dilating. I hit 36 hours. And then they told me, well, it's not an emergency. Your, your baby's doing fine. You're doing fine. But we don't want it to turn into an emergency. Ugh. So we're going to go back and give you a C-section. And lots of crying, you know. We'd been, you know, awake for 36 hours. And we were just like, oh, my gosh. And so... We went for the C-section, and then that was that one, and I didn't really, I don't know, I felt really bad afterwards, but I was like, whatever, they had my best interest. So my second pregnancy, we moved back to Utah when I was like 20 weeks pregnant again, so I got a new provider, and this one, you know, he said he was VBAC friendly. His wife had had like six kids or seven, and she had had a C-section with one kid and then had V-backs. And, um, you know, he was like, oh, yeah, I've been through it. You're, you're pretty – he kept telling me, you're not a very good candidate because <laughs> you were failure to progress. <laughs> and so he kept telling me I had a 20% chance. 20? Because I was also – yeah, because I was Hispanic, and that automatically knocks you. Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, – It's insane. And so – he was like, yeah, you have a 20% chance. You're not very likely, but we can try. And if you go into labor, you know, we'll try. And so, but I took hypnobirthing. I knew I wanted to labor at home as long as possible and then go into the hospital as late as I could. Um, but then I went to labor again, nine days overdue. And I was so excited. I woke up at two in the morning and I was having these really strong contractions and I was like, oh, my gosh, I've never felt this with my son. This is so exciting. These are real contractions. And I just felt amazing. And so I was doing hypnobirthing to, you know, breathe through the pain and stuff. And I labored at home for about 11 hours. And then the contractions were like three to five minutes apart. But my husband was like, we should probably go in. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want to go in until I'm feeling my baby come out of me pretty much. <laughs> and he was making lunch. And all of a sudden, my mom and my husband and I, which we had already taken my son to a friend's house so they could watch him while I was in labor. And so it was just my son, my husband and my mom and me at home. And all three of us at the same time felt distinctly. And I had this super weird, monster, crazy, painful contraction. And all three of us felt we need to go to the hospital right now. And so we put the stuffed mushrooms in the fridge and like <laughs> ran to the car and went to the hospital and my baby's heart rate wasn't doing well, and I was only at one centimeter. Oh, <laughs> I was like, my oh, gosh. that labor, and I'm at one centimeter? Like, what the heck? And so 
which for four days prior, like I went to my doctor's appointment and her heart rate was 10 beats lower than it was all of pregnancy. Like the whole pregnancy, she was at 135. And then the doctor, you know, he said she was at 125. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Usually she's 135. He's like, oh, it's normal for the heart rates to reduce. I was like, okay, I guess. And then the next day I had my NST because I was overdue. Then we had an NST and and at the NST, her heart rate was like 110. And I was like, oh, that's weird. They're like, no, or it was like 115 or something. They're like, no, that's normal. And then the next day I thought my waters had broken. So we went to the hospital and it was like five beats lower. And they're like, no, that's normal. And then at the hospital, when we got there, it was like 109. And then by the end of the hour that I was being monitored, it was baselining 100 and dipping mm. below 90s and having, you know, the slow, slow recoveries and yeah. stuff. So they did think the placenta might be, you know, aging or whatever, and that she wasn't tolerating labor well. My body wasn't responding well because it was still at one centimeter. So they were like, well, it seems like she's in distress. We need to get her out right now. And I felt completely at peace with that because the OB, he said, well, you can try laboring for another hour because I did a face. I was like 30% of face when I first got to the hospital. An hour later, I was like 70% of face. So they were Just like, well, good you can change. See. That is good change. Yeah, it was. It was. Well, I didn't think so at the time. Now I know better that facement, you know, takes more work than dilation. But at the time, I was just devastated that I hadn't dilated. And I really just felt like she needed. And he said, you know, we can wait another hour. But I just felt, no, she needs to come out now. So we might as well just do the C-section. So we went back, did the C-section. And that time I felt a lot better about it because I had felt, you know, part of the conversation and involved with my birth because we kept the drape down. And or we had a clear drape, so I was able to watch everything. And I talked to him the entire time. And I, with my first, I felt like everything was happening over by my toes. Like I had no idea what was going on. But then with this one, I was like, wow, they're so close. Like they're right there. And they took the baby out and it, it was lovely. And so that one was a much better experience. But, you know, the recovery was still hard. Nothing drastic happened. It's just hard to recover from abdominal surgery. Yep. And I was kind of sad that I hadn't gotten my V back and my OB he said, I was like, so can I be back after two C-sections? And he said, oh, the hospitals don't allow that. Um, and so the one mom that tried to be back at home, or she had to be back at home after two C-sections, and her uterus ruptured and her baby died and she lost her uterus so she couldn't oh have any gosh. more. gosh. So I was like, okay, okay, then we'll just schedule the next C-section. <laughs> but then for some reason, when I actually got pregnant with my third I just had this burning desire of like, I know my body can do it. I know I can do it. And I'm going to try for a VBAC. And so I started looking up all these VBAC Facebook groups and Googling all this stuff about VBACs. And that's how I found the VBAC link. And I started messaging them and Megan replied to me and she had like super similar experiences with her babies, like ruptured waters and blah, blah, blah. And so I was super excited. She'd had two C-sections that were similar to mine. So I got excited that I could have a VBAC. And my husband was not happy because <laughs> he, he had hated the whole waiting and knowing mm-hmm. if he was going to go to work or not, knowing when his paternity leave was going to start. And he hated because he was asleep with my first when they decided that I needed a C-section. And so we woke him up and it was like, hey, your wife's having a C-section. So he was like devastated. And he was like, what the heck? So then during my third labor, actually, he didn't sleep very much because... Yeah, he'd had that experience. And so 
But um, I kept researching, kept talking to Megan. I took the VBAC link class twice because I, my husband works on Saturdays. And so I, you know, my mom flew in from Texas to take this class with me. Mm-hmm. And then because I wanted someone to take it with me who would actually be there in labor with me. So my mom came in and took it with me. And then my husband was really struggling with the whole VBAC idea and his parents and family and friends were just painting this super dark picture for him. Like one of our best friends here in Utah, her mom had a C-section with her first and then she had like four VBACs and then she had another C-section with her fifth or no, she had three VBACs. So with her fifth child, she had another C-section and she attempted to VBAC after her second C-section and her uterus ruptured and she had she had a hysterectomy. So our friend is over here and like he's really close to this friend. And so mm. she kept telling him like she's going to get a hysterectomy. She could die. Baby oh, could die. Like oh all this gosh. stuff. So he was just really struggling with the idea of a VBAC. And so I made him. I was like, okay, you are taking a vacation day from work and you are taking this VBAC class. <laughs> and so we took the VBAC class again, this time with him. He thought that, you know, you guys were just cherry picking your studies and that you guys were. (laughs) We have four pages of studies in that manual. And they're all accredited studies. They're all accredited studies. You can go and find them. He learned, though. This is the beginning of the story. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm just telling you guys so you can see where we're coming from. Oh, for sure. You guys have come a long way. And I think it's important that you're going over this because not everyone has a, uh, a partner that is 100% supportive right yep. from the beginning. So I'm glad yep. that you're telling this part of your story. Yep. I just laugh and joke because I, I know the end result. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So women, if you have an unsupportive husband, especially a husband against out of hospital birth, then keep listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My husband, um, yeah, so he, I told him, look, these are all the studies that they cited. This is where they're getting their information. If you're doubting it, look at the studies yourself. And he kept saying, oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time to look at these studies. All we can, you know, all I have time for is what the OBs tell us. And the OBs are telling you that you don't, you probably won't do this. So why put up with the stress of a TOLAC? And because I did, I was with a midwife group, but because I was a VBAC, I always had to consult with the doctors, with the OBs. Mm. And so all the OBs were like, well, if you come into labor five centimeters dilated, if you come into the hospital five centimeters dilated, then I'm sure, of course, we'll let you VBAC. But my husband, you know, I'd never gotten to five centimeters. With Pitocin, I'd gotten to four centimeters. So my husband was like, no, you can't do that by yourself. Your body can't progress by itself. So it's not going to happen. And so then I switched providers at 20 weeks again um, to, no, 24 or 28. I can't remember. It was after I'd taken the diabetes test because they made me take it early. Or they made me take it at 16 weeks to make sure I didn't have diabetes. Okay, sorry, because with my second baby, I did have gestational diabetes. And my OB really wanted me to schedule a C-section. This is another reason why he was kind of, I had a 20% chance of mm-hmm. VBAC yeah, because... Yeah. He wanted me to schedule a C-section early. He wouldn't. He said he would not induce VBACs at all, and so I had to go into labor on my own. And so, but I fought tooth and nail to let me go to 42 weeks. And he, the other OB, and my diabetes specialist, and the hosp- hospital, whatever director, whatever, and my MFM doctor, they all got together and all had a meeting and discussed whether they should let me go to 42 weeks or not. They all agreed that if I wanted to go to 42 weeks, 
it would be fine. So they gave me permission to go to 42 weeks, which I think is ridiculous. But yeah, that's how I was able to go overdue with gestational diabetes. Because if baby's fine and you are fine, then there's no reason you should be induced or have a C-section early, like before 42 weeks. So with my third, I did not have uh, diabetes. So when I was transferring, they wanted to make sure all the testing came out right. So I was transferring to another group of midwives that were hospital midwives, and I had to consult with the OB. And they, the midwife told me, oh, yeah, if you're one centimeter dilated, we can get a Foley bulb in you, and then we can give you Pitocin and get you going and stuff. And I was like, this is exactly what I need. Perfect. I'm going with this group. Because I had interviewed, like, three midwives and doctors at this point. And so um, I was so excited. So we transferred over to these people, and then I had to consult with their OB, so I went, met with their OB, and he told me, no, we don't give VBACs after two C-sections, Pitocin, and we're not going to give you a Foley bulb because if you don't have a Foley, you know, if you have a Foley without Pitocin, there's no point. It's not going to do anything for you. <sighs> and so I was like, what? Bait and switch? Like, what the heck? Why did the mm-hmm. midwife tell me this? And then you are telling me something different. So I was really yep. upset. And my, but my husband was like, but we love the midwife. This midwife is great. We're going to, we should just stay with this midwife. Uh, And I was like, I know we love this midwife, but she's going to be on call. Like, what if she's not on call when I go into labor and we're not going to get this midwife? And then what if I need Pitocin? You know, I need more than just a a supportive midwife. So this is why I decided to transfer at 36 weeks to a birthing center midwife because they would give me a Foley bulb without Pitocin and they would try to, you know, get things going. They were like, of course, we hope that you do it naturally, but we will definitely try to give you a Foley bulb. And so transferred to this birthing center and I did interview a few birthing centers before we found our birthing center because my husband thought all the other birthing centers were too hippie. He didn't like them. (laughs) He thought that the midwives trusted natural bodies way too much and that that's not realistic because birth isn't that reliable and so we found a birthing center that did give IV antibiotics and they did they were a lot more they felt more balanced and not as hippie I guess and then (laughs) I also liked it a lot more because the other birthing centers were dark and everything was like dark wood and dark brown and stuff and this other one it was like light blue light blue walls Mm. beautiful bedspread like a massive window and it was just gorgeous and I was like okay I can deliver here yeah in this bright beautiful place I feel comfortable and also because I really wanted a home birth I was like Mm -hmm. if we're gonna go out of hospital we might as well just do home but my husband was absolutely against it he's like that is disgusting horrible (laughs) things are gonna happen everyone was like oh if something tragic happens you're gonna have PTSD in your own house blah 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 so (laughs) so everyone was super against us having a home birth plus birthing center sounds less hippie and less drastic than a home birth so my husband I take offense (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding give him a hard time for me (laughs) Um, well because I'd been reading all these books I was reading Ina May's Guide to Childbirth Mm -hmm. and like you know ancient maps to modern birth and like birthing from within so I was perfectly comfortable birthing at home and I which is very different because with my first I thought oh yeah I do a birthing center if this baby goes well if he doesn't go well, we're just going to, you know, then we know we'll stick with the hospital because I'll know that I need a hospital. But if it goes well, then I could probably give a birthing center a chance. And so then after I had a C-section, I was like, no, I would never do it out of hospital because, you know, my baby could have died. But then I realized, no, my baby was fine. I didn't need that C-section. 
so my body can probably do it and I'll be just fine. And so, and that was after listening to the podcast. Um, there was one that had a very infuriating woman to me because she was kind of had, she was kind of clueless about birth, but she was kind of forced to change providers and she just happened to pick a birthing center. And then the whole time she was in labor, she was like begging to go to the hospital, but the midwife was like, no, you're fine. You're not going to die. It's okay. And she like held her hand throughout the birth. And so mm-hmm. I figured, wow, if she can have a vaginal delivery with her midwife holding her hand, I need my midwife to hold my hand and I need her to believe in me more than I believe in myself. And that's why I decided to go with a birthing center midwife who like every birthing center midwife I interviewed was like, oh yeah, there's nothing in your stories. And even the the midwives that were the hospital midwives and the OBs, they would all, every single person said, there's nothing in your stories that sounds like you wouldn't be able to have a vaginal delivery if you tried again, but you've had two C-sections is what the hospital midwife yeah, would say. But there's no right. but, add that, but you've had two C-sections. Like butts. Yeah. yeah. No butts like, allowed. Mm-hmm. Big, those are big butts. Yeah. <laughs> it's too so big frustrating. Butt. Well, and it's Anyways. like, I don't need you doubting me while yeah. I'm in labor. Mm-hmm. I don't need that, sh- you know, cloud hanging over me. So that's why I decided to go with the birthing center midwife who, you know, trusted in me with no butts. And so, no butts. And like, <laughs> in my, in my body. And so, but I kept going to the hospital midwives because I wanted to transfer to the hospital, their hospital, because I, I, in my head, I was like, if I go to the hospital, they're not going to give me Pitocin. So I want to know who's the person giving me the C-section. And so that's why I kept going to this hospital midwife. And so now I am 39 weeks along and one day and I was volunteering at this, at the temple, like at this place where I fold laundry and I was folding and I would fold laundry every week. And so I was folding this laundry and all of a sudden I was sitting down just folding some socks, like it was really light work. And then I felt like I was going to pass out. Like I felt horrible. I didn't feel like I was going to pass out immediately. I just felt really, really icky and like this pit was in my stomach And, like, something was wrong. And I started having this, like, panic attack. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And then I got up and I started feeling lightheaded. And I I asked them, hey, do you guys have a blood pressure cuff? And she, because I had had some uh, low blood pressure issues, like, not issues, but I had felt lightheaded from low blood pressure before, even though this felt different. And so Mm -hmm. I asked them for a blood pressure cuff. She said, no, just go home. And she said that. And I was like, yep, I need to just go home. And so I called, I changed into my street clothes. I try to get to my car as fast as I could, trying not to cry. And then I get into the car and I'm like bawling. And I'm like, why am I crying? What is going on? (laughs) And I call my husband and I'm like, Dan, we need to go to the hospital right now. Something's wrong with the baby. I don't know what's wrong. I was like, just put shoes on the kids. We need to go to the hospital right now. And he was like, whoa, 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 (laughs) calm down. Maybe you should call your, your midwives and then see if they can, you know, see what's going on. So I was like, okay, okay. So I called the midwives, scheduled an appointment. 45 minutes later, we packed the kids into the car and head to the, uh, the OB's office. And they do an NST. And her heartbeat was fairly normal. It was like five beats lower than normal. But she was actually unresponsive. So she was declared unresponsive. And so then they had me do a biophysical profile, which means that she wasn't moving. Like they even got a little vibrator thing, vibrated my stomach. They had me eat you know, drink cold water and stuff. And I ate a a protein bar and 
and she wasn't having accelerations. She was actually having some decelerations, mm. and I was having like contractions, but it, it was what I felt was just Braxton Higgs. It didn't feel like real labor. And so they said, oh, that's weird. She's not having accelerations, and that's why they declared her unresponsive. So I had a biophysical profile, which is where they do the ultrasound and measure everything. So they measured my fluids, and they were half of what they used to be. They used to be like 16 to 20, and they were at 9 centimeters. And so, and then they declared my placenta grade 3, which means that it started like calcifying and wasn't flowing as well as it should be into the baby. And there was something else weird. I can't remember what. Oh, um, like she wasn't having breathing or something. Like her lungs weren't breathing or whatever. Mm-hmm. But she was moving great. And so I got like a low score for my BPP. And so... So the midwife came in and told me I shouldn't eat anything and I should get ready for a C-section today and um, (laughs) that I should go to the hospital for another NST. So my husband and I get in the car. She said, and I was like, well, we have to get our kids somewhere. So how, how soon do you want me at the hospital for the NST? She's like, within the hour. I was like, oh, man. So we get in the car. And I was like, how can she have a better NST if I don't eat anything? I had any instant seven in the morning. Mm-hmm. It was like 1130 at this point. And I was so talking to was you like, and I was like, eat. <laughs> I know. You're like, eat something. You're like, they don't want so me to. Like, I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> eat. <laughs> it's like, how, you it need energy. Yes. <laughs> and my baby needs energy too. Yes. Like, yeah. That's what it, Yeah. She needs, to, she needs it. Yeah. Yeah. So I went home and I ate some carrots and hummus and I drank a Gatorade. Like I still wanted to keep it light because I had horrible reactions after my second C-section to the medications and stuff. So I wanted to keep it light because I didn't want them to give me the stomach acid stuff again, which is what I reacted badly to. And so, so I ate carrots and hummus and Gatorade and then we took the kids over to babysitter and then just Dan and me went to the hospital. My mom wasn't here yet. And so she wasn't going to come till like, four days after my due date because I'd always go so far overdue and she still had six kids at home. So she only wanted to be here for like 10 days. And I'm like, well, if you come on my due date, you know, you're going to be here just 10 days and then the baby's going to be born. <laughs> so she wasn't going to come till later, but I was just 39 weeks at this point. And so we go to the hospital. She has a worrisome deceleration at the beginning of the NST and then she has perfect like she has accelerations she doesn't have deceleration she had a perfect NST and so the midwife comes in an hour after they said she was fine like they wanted the midwife to to come talk to me to say okay it's safe for you to go home but she didn't come for like an hour and a half so we were there attached to the machine for like two and a half hours I think they were just waiting for one more deceleration or something to, uh, to be like, oh, yeah, you've had two decelerations, you need to have a C-section. Mm-hmm. But that didn't happen. So the midwife gets there. She's like, you know, everything looks fine. We still recommend <laughs> that you get a C-section today. And so oh, she was like, you can get a C-section today, or I guess you can go home if you want. And I was like, okay, goodbye. Go home. <laughs> yep. <laughs> See you Good later. You. <laughs> so we're going home from the hospital. My birthing center midwife Cause I was like, they want me to have a C-section. This is the deal. And she said, uh, that doesn't sound like an immediate C-section to me. There's still a lot we can do. So I was like, and I had with my previous baby, she had had, you know, some her the placenta crap out. And I was like, I don't want the placenta to crap out. And it's already crapping out at 39 weeks. And so um, she said, okay, then right now, baby, which she just kept saying, we'll talk about it tomorrow. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Cause my appointment with her was the next day. 
So I was like, okay, Dan, we're just going to trust her and we'll go talk to her tomorrow. We'll give it another day. And I didn't want a C-section on that Monday either for some some reason because I was calling my mom and everything while we were on our way to the hospital. And she was like, do you need me there right now? I can hop on a plane. And I said, no, you know, just come on tomorrow or come on Wednesday because I feel like I'm not going to have a C-section until Wednesday. So even if things don't look good, I'm still going to schedule my C-section, like, at least for Wednesday. So I felt, okay, we, we're just going to wait it out a little bit longer, and we're going to go talk to the birthing center midwife tomorrow. So the next day, and she was like, we can put a Foley catheter in tomorrow, you know, just wait. So the next day was Tuesday. We went and talked to her. She said, you know, we checked the heartbeat. The heartbeat was great. It was back up to 135 and even going as high as, you know, 150, having normal uh, accelerations and stuff. So she said, your baby looks fine. Let's induce you before, because that's pretty much what the hospital midwives were waiting for, is just for the placenta to crap out enough to have a Mm C-section. They were like, we'll just wait and see. And so this birthing center midwife was like, well, her heartbeat is strong. Your placenta is strong enough right now. Let's get things going while your baby's healthy and see if she tolerates labor better. And that's what I had been talking to her about. So I was like, great, let's get the Foley in. But she said, no, you get a good night's sleep tonight. And I was going to have another NST. She's like, we'll see what this next NST says. And then you get a good sleep and then we'll put it in on Wednesday. So I was like, okay, great. We went and had the other NST. It came back perfect. So we went to sleep and on Wednesday morning got the Foley bulb and man, it was really, it brought back some PTSD. Like I didn't realize how much PTSD I had Mm -hmm. um, until they put the Foley bulb in. And I guess I had trapped all of this trauma in my cervix, which, and so then when they put the Foley bulb in, it just triggered, like, I felt like I was back in my second, my second pregnancy, getting ready for the C-section when I felt like after they gave me the pre-surgery meds, like I was going to pass out and like I was going to die and I just felt horrible. And so all of that came rushing back. And so I had to like drink water from my little daughter's sippy cup because I couldn't (laughs) sit up to drink water from my bottle and like all this stuff. But they eventually got the fully, and my mom, she's a hypnotherapist. And so she did these visualizations of me being on a cloud and stuff. And so I was able to get the fully in, but they would, were only able to fill it up like, she wanted to put 60 in, 60 milliliters in, and she only got 35 milliliters in. Mm. But it was in, and I was super excited. I'd never had a Foley bulb before. And so so she told us to go to the zoo or the aquarium, you know, and just walk around. So I went, we went to the aquarium with our kids and walked around all day. And then we went home, and I was having contractions regularly, like every 10 to 15 minutes, I think, or 15 to 20. It depended. They'd get closer, and then they get further but they definitely felt like labor contractions and they were getting harder and stuff. And so we went home and then I had stuff leaking onto my pants and it was like this pinkish, pinkish clear fluid. But I was like, I didn't see the pink until later, but I was like, Oh, my pants are wet, uh, like slightly wet. So I think the saline solution's leaking. Mm-hmm. So I told my midwife, I told my doula, I think my fully bulb popped because it's leaking fluid and they were like oh well we'll just put a new one tomorrow and then my mucus plug started coming out of the catheter and I was like what the yeah crap? <laughs> that was a wild picture that was a wild picture I've never seen it I mean I knew that that was mucus but like I've never seen it coming out of the catheter like that I know that is it so was weird it was cool I need to see this picture. I'll show you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
I had my mucus plug coming out of which it felt like I had a penis. Like it was the weirdest thing having a fully in and just walking around. I was like, what in the heck? It felt like I had yeah. a penis. Whoa, that's so cool. It was the weirdest thing. And so even my son was like, Do you not have a penis anymore? <laughs> like, oh, no, that's they took funny. it out. <laughs> so, but because my son was here the entire he was three and a half years old so he was there the whole time that I was being induced and at home at least and so I and I don't keep anything from him I was like yep and I had to like wrap gauze around the tube and stuff because it was leaking and he's like what's that and I'm like oh it catches you know it catches the stuff that's coming out and so Uh he's like oh you you need to catch the stuff anyways and so mucus plug was coming out and I was like whoa is this thing letting stuff out of my body and she was like yeah it's a catheter it let it let stuff you know fluids pass through it I was like oh my gosh and then I noticed that there was pink on my pants because I was wearing white you know garments underneath and so my garments were pink and I was like oh my gosh this could be fluids I guess and so but I kind of was in denial because they also say you know pink stuff starts coming out when your cervix is dilating and stuff Mm -hmm. so I was like oh the pink stuff just means I'm getting cervical change and so but we go into the midwife the next day. But then the mucus plug started coming out. And I was like, whoa, this is exciting. But we go to the midwife <laughs> the next day. And she tests my fluids. And she's like, yep, husband was right. Because my husband, he's always like, that looks like amniotic fluid. And I'm always like, no, no, it's not. And so she was like, it is amniotic fluid. You should have come in last night. But, you know, it's okay. You can just go home and keep laboring. So they took the Foley out to reduce the chance of infection. infection right. Having that Foley in. Yeah, so they, and at this point, she said I was a stretchy three, stretchy four, but the, the hospital would consider me a two. I was like, great. <laughs> so, so I went home, kept trying to labor, you know, and by the way, this whole time I'd been doing chiropractic care every single week. Like, I actually had the x-ray. My chiropractor did an x-ray when I was three weeks pregnant, but I, I had no idea I was three weeks pregnant, and so... But then we started the care and I had to go three times a week for two weeks and then two times a week for like 10 weeks and then once a week for the rest of my pregnancy because I did have a tilted sacrum. And the whole reason I wanted to go to him in the first place was so I could see if there was something physically wrong with me that wouldn't let me pass a child through my pelvis. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted that x-ray. So we got the x-ray and we found out that I had tilted sacrum with a fish hook tailbone. And my mom's chiro- my mom showed her chiropractor the x-ray, and he was like, whoa, if a baby tried to pass through that, its face would get disfigured. And so whoa. I was like, whoa. He actually said that? Yeah, no, wow. my mom's chiropractor. So yeah. it wasn't my chiropractor. Right. But yeah. Someone wow. Said, wow. Yeah, right? So I was like, oh, my gosh, that's terrifying. And so my chiropractor was like, well, because he kept saying, he didn't ever tell me about the disfigured face thing, but he would say like, well, we probably wouldn't be able to fix it all the way right now because your baby and your uterus is putting pressure on your sacrum, but we can try to get it more in alignment and, you know, help you get your V back. And so I would go in every week and he would not manipulate my body, which is why I loved this chiropractor. He only had, it's called the activator method where he just had this little tiny little machine thing that would pop like, each choop, individual choop, choop, yeah exactly right? so, mm-hmm, just, just like, like that, that. <laughs> <laughs> but he explained it to me at the beginning because I was like why do you do it this way not the traditional way because I'd been to like six chiropractors and they all did it the traditional way and he was like look at my hands my hands are huge like if I tried to fix just one vertebrae it'd move lots of vertebrae it wouldn't just move the vertebrae that needs to be moved so that's why I use the activator method 
to just move the one indiv- like the individual vertebrae that need to be put back into place. Why mess with the ones that are fine mm-hmm. to just get the one back into place? So I loved that and and my my this was the most pain-free pregnancy I'd ever had. Like with my first I had excruciating hip pain my entire pregnancy. With my second I'd have some like headaches and stuff and still hip pain even though I was doing massage therapy with my second because I could afford a massage therapist, not a chiropractor. And so, and I'd had a bad experience with a chiropractor who told me to come back way too frequently. So he actually started giving me headaches because mm. I was going too much. And I was like, what the heck? So I stopped trusting chiropractors, at, you know, with my second pregnancy because I felt like he was just going, making me go in for money. So mm-hmm. I... Which is why a lot I of the times had, they have bad raps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so frustrating. Because then I found this lovely chiropractor who, you know, really cared about me and just wanted to help my body get back into place. And so even though I did, at the beginning, I was a little skeptical because I was like, oh, he's making me go three times a week again and then two times a week. Like, this is so excessive. And then I did start feeling more pain because he'd say, you know, it gets worse before it gets better because then you're like moving stuff around that hasn't been moved. And so I was like super skeptical. But then, like, it started... Um, well then I got my structural integrator which is also called rolfing and so she says that you need to you should pair structural integration like within four hours before the chiropractic appointment so then that would help the adjustment stick better because I felt like every time I'd leave the chiropractor I'd turn my head in the car while driving and then everything would just pop out of place so I started going to structural integrator and she would release the binding in my fascia so then it would be allow my bones to be more receptive to the adjustment. And so and then the structural integrator also worked on a ton of like emotional stuff. So their philosophy is like your body is affected by the emotions you feel. And so if you don't release those emotions or even if you don't release those bad habits, like I was a dancer between the ages of four and eight and then again at 10 and 12. And she said that my body still had the effects of being a dancer like you know, 10 years later. And so because I never had fixed my, you know, I'd never fixed my fascia. So it was still having the bad habits that they teach you in dance. And so like how you need to like squeeze your glutes to stand straight. And she's like, you can stand straight without squeezing your glutes. That's just an easy way that they like cheat your body into trying to look straight, even though it's causing you more harm than good. So all this stuff. So I started going to structural integrator and my chiropractor and I felt amazing. It was the best pain-free pregnancy I've ever had. So we were inducing me and I, you know, they took the Foley out and then they, gosh, I got like way off track. Sorry guys. (laughs) Back into labor. So Wednesday or see, I can't remember. I think this was like Thursday night. She texted me and she's like, wait, are you GBS positive? that we'd already gone home at this time and it was like almost it was like 11 o'clock and my husband she actually called and my husband answered and because I think I was taking a bath or something and he was like yeah she's GBS positive and my midwife was like she needs to come in right now she needs we need to give her antibiotics and she needs to get antibiotics every every 12 hours <sighs> so we had to pack up again and go drop the kids off at someone's house and then we went to or actually, I think my mom stayed with them that night. And then just Dan and I went to the birthing center. And then we went um, and got, and this is why I loved my midwife, because she started giving me IV antibiotics. 
because that was one big reason I didn't want to do a birthing center because I was like, if I have to go get antibiotics, they're going to put me on an IV and then I'm, I'm going to be stuck there. Mm-hmm. So she was like, no, you know, I can give you an IV. And so I did the IV antibiotics. And after the dose, they were like, okay, you can go home or you can just stay here. What do you want to do? And I was like, well, we've already got my kids over at someone, you know, we've already got our kids taken care of. Because we'd made the plan of, okay, when my mom wakes up with the kids in the morning, she's going to take them over to a friend's house. And then my husband's aunt is going to pick them up and then they can stay overnight. Anyway, so we had this whole plan. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to stay here and going to just try to rest here because I could not sleep at my house. I was feeling all the contractions and I'd wake up and my husband would just, like, I'd grab his hand and put it on my sacrum and then he'd squeeze it. You know, like, he'd press my sacrum and then he'd roll over and go back to sleep. And then I'd be like, (laughs) oh, waiting for the next contraction. And so I was like, we're just going to stay here and then I can have more support people than just, you know, keep disrupting my husband. And so we stayed there and Friday or was it Saturday morning? See, I don't even know what days this was. So we left your house technically Saturday morning, but we were there Friday night. So so it was Friday night when Angie called us in. Yeah. Okay. Friday night and then you were there Saturday morning. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and so, oh, which, by the way, that night, uh, Megan had come to my house, and we'd, like, burned all my fears and stuff. That was pretty intense. I, they had me, like, write down on each, like, a piece of paper, strips of paper that, well, it was a paper, and then we tore it into strips um, of all my fears that I had, like, and I couldn't even visualize, like, I also started going to hypnotherapist. I went to two sessions before I went into labor because I realized that I had a lot more PTSD than I thought from my specifically my first c-section my second wasn't as bad but my first c-section I just had all this trauma and all this Mm -hmm. shame and guilt and just feeling broken and horrible so I had all these limiting beliefs like I um, one of my fears was like that impossible seven centimeters I felt like it would be impossible Mm. for my body to hit you literally couldn't even you couldn't even draw a picture of your body getting past that point it was really yeah yeah you were blo- it was yep. blocking you. Yeah. <sighs> yep. And then also I was worried about the placenta, you mm-hmm. know, crapping out again and all this stuff. So I had all these fears. So we went and like we got our little Dutch oven and we burnt the fuse in them. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite way to burn fuse, to like release fears. Yeah. I mean, I never. I always thought that was like super kooky and hippie and stuff. But oh, it but really... it does amazing things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it does. Yeah, it, is hippie, it works. Like, it's dopamine. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, which all of this stuff, like, you know, chiropractic care, hypnotherapy, like all this stuff, I'd always thought, oh, that's way too extreme for me. But then I did it and it. I'm like, if it works, it works. And so it was amazing. Um, so we go into the birthing center which after we burnt my fears, they were like, oh, you should take a bath and then go to bed. We'll all sleep. And then another day of labor the next day. But then uh, Angie, my midwife, was like, well, you have to come in and get an IV. And so then I got the IV and we all decided to stay at the birthing center. But Megan went home and slept because I was like, this is going to be super slow. (laughs) And so the next morning she came and she brought us all breakfast. It was amazing. And like, Dan got some cereal and I got some oatmeal from Starbucks and it was great. And Mm so um, it was nice to just have a, a, cause I could not sleep that night. It was horrible. And I was in the bathtub and I kept, I was in the bathtub for like three hours cause they, they told me it would be fine to be in the bathtub cause I was already getting antibiotics every 12 hours. And so, so I was in that bathtub and my 
head like I kept falling asleep and then my face would hit the water and I was like whoa like okay I need to stay awake I don't want to drown of all things <laughs> but then I was in so much pain I didn't want to get out of the water because I felt like I could hardly handle it in the water it would be horrible out of the water but I kept falling asleep so I was like you know I'm just gonna try to get out and sleep so I like dried off put on my great-grandmother's robe or muumuu or whatever and then I crawled into bed and I just felt like so horrible and with no strength and then which my husband was already passed out because this was we'd had horrible nights of sleep so it was a queen bed and he was sleeping on the bed so I just crawled in next to him and then my midwife came and introduced me to the new midwife because she had a birth she had to attend in a different city because her partner was on vacation so it was just her delivering all the babies at two birthing centers so she had to leave and she called her I don't know if it's like a friend or what but this was a home birth midwife who came and um, they introduced me to her and I was like, yeah, whatever. Hi, I'm going to try and sleep now. And then mm-hmm. she realized how miserable I was. So she asked me if she could do some energy work on me. And I was like, whatever, lady, like do whatever you want. And then she asked me if she could rub some essential oils on me. And I was like, whatever you think is best, whatever. Like, I literally don't care. I just want to sleep. <laughs> and so then she started like rubbing me. And doing all like putting essential oils on my back and on my neck and then I just passed out and I didn't wake up till the next morning and I was like who was that angel who came and just put me to sleep well first my first thought was well I smell like essential oils where did this come from and then I remembered oh she asked me before she put essential oils on me I remember it was this lady and then the next day and she was still there like I turned around and she was still sitting there right behind me She's like, good morning, how do you feel? And I was like, wow, I slept. Like, you are an angel. Like, she literally, I felt like she was just this angel that had fallen out of heaven. And so um, we worked a lot on, she would, like, stick her fingers in and try to open up my cervix manually. And um, she was, like, inside of me for 48 minutes. Like, Mm -hmm. it was intense. And I was just really tight everywhere. And she's like, why are you so tight? Are you anxious? nervous I was like yeah all these OBs don't believe in me and in my hypnotherapy session I'd even said like I just want one male to tell me that I can do it because all the OBs like every male person in my life pretty much thinks that I shouldn't do this and even my husband and she was like why do you need why do you need a male validation like and I was like I don't know I just it feels like because women and men should work together and so if a man is saying it's okay then that means I'm in partnership with them I don't know and so we talked about all that, broke down all my fears and blah, blah, blah. And then, but I didn't, I wasn't progressing. Like I would go on walks. Julie came, we did walks, we did abdominal lifts. We were trying to get her in a good position and Megan came and we went on a walk again and we did curb walks and we did, you know, all this stuff. And I was like stuck at three centimeters. And so um, everyone said like, well, let's go to sleep. Contraction should pick up at night. And if they don't, we can talk about our other options. And that's when Megan started bringing up like, hey, the this other hospital does do Pitocin for VVACs after two. So if we did want to transfer to the hospital, we should go to this one. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, okay, whatever. And so the, the midwife started uh, looking into it and I just went to sleep. And then they all woke me up at, I think, like three in the morning and we're like, hey, honey, your contractions haven't picked up. <laughs> like you're still asleep <laughs> and you haven't been having contractions. So we need to talk about going to the hospital and to try to get things going. And they, she said, 
because she was, you know, she's this home birth midwife. So I felt like she was the hippiest of the hippiest and she'd been doing Reiki and essential oils and stuff. And she was the one telling me, hey, I think you just need an epidural and you just need Pitocin. Like you just need your contractions to be strong. And so. And you needed rest. You had been working so hard for such a long time. Mm -hmm. You needed rest before your body could work hard again. Well, and I think too, you had such you had such power over your body that an epidural would allow you to relax and let your body do its thing and take yep. over. So, yep. yeah. Because that was one thing is, well, so one thing we kept repeating over and over is pain with progress, pain with progress. Mm-hmm. So then, which everyone kept telling me my whole pregnancy, you need to let go, you need to let go. And I'm like, how the crap do you let go? Like, what does that even mean? And so, and I'd done all these, you know, guided meditations and stuff to learn how to let go. So I thought I could do it. I was like, I got this. And then they started telling me pain with progress, pain with progress. So every time I'd have a contraction, I was like, you better be dilating cervix, like <laughs> be progressing. And so, yeah, it was really, it was really hard. And I thought I was, I thought I was better than I was, which I probably was, but I still wasn't letting go. And so everyone, and everyone was like, does she like to control, like, does she like to be in control and all this stuff? <laughs> Asking my husband and he was like, yes, definitely. She definitely likes being in control. So I think they all understood that it was really hard to just let go of control. And so mm-hmm. she just thought that I needed the epidural and Pitocin. And so we went to the hospital and it was, you know, I had lots of contractions in the car and then we get to the hospital and there's my little posse of like five people because <laughs> my midwife is with me, my doula is with me, my husband. You had a crew. And my mother. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And so we all just come in here and we're like, she's in labor, be back after two. Like, we need Pitocin, please. And so they said, sure, yeah, we can definitely do that. And everyone was such, they were so amazing. Like, it was hands down my best hospital experience because all the nurses were just so genuine and so sweet. And I go in and I was like, I really want to shower. I haven't showered in forever. My hair looks terrible. And if I'm going to deliver, I have a birth photographer coming. Like, I need to, like, <laughs> And so I was like, before the epidural, can I just please shower? And the nurse was like, oh, yeah. Fine. Like, that's totally fine. Oh, we'll so just- good. I love that. Yeah, everyone was so sweet and just willing to just work with us. And so I went in, I showered, and then um, they, afterwards, the anesthesiologist came in, and he was really sweet. So my biggest fear with a c-section was that I was going to die from the spinal tap like because that is my worst part of a c-section is getting Mm -hmm. that spinal tap and so I was like oh my gosh I'm trying not to have a c-section so I don't get a spinal tap and now here I am trying to get an epidural like it was like my worst nightmare and so and every time they'd stick me with an IV, it was like this whole big thing where they'd have to hold me so I wouldn't punch someone and then so they could give me the antibiotics. And so it was just horrible. And so with this epidural, the the anesthesiologist was like, hey, you need to be still and you cannot move or else that is going to increase your risk of getting getting a spinal leak. It's going to increase your risk of getting spinal headaches. Like you need to not move. And I was like, shoot, this is, I need to not, because that was my problem. It always, like, jerk out of the way because I can feel it going in even if they numb me. Like, it's just horrible. So my husband laid down, and I just grabbed his head, and I just squeezed it as hard as I could, you know, curled up in a ball. And I was focused on squeezing his head, like, all his guts (laughs) out. And so then he was able to give me the epidural, and he was like, sweet, you did great, you didn't move. It should be perfect. So they taped me up. 
And also, my mom had had a bad experience with an epidural. I'd never had an epidural before, so I was kind of terrified. But I knew that I figured I wouldn't react poorly to them because I had had Percocet with my C-sections, and I'd been great. And so, they, and so I and I learned that epidurals have opioids in them, and I was like, okay, my body can handle opioids. I should be fine. So they gave me the epidural. And then they gave me Pitocin, and they started it at two, which I told them, like, I only want half a unit or one unit. And the nurses and the OBs were like, at that point, it's naturopathic. Like, it's not going to do anything. We need, if we're going to do this, we need to hit it, and we need to hit it hard. And we need to get your, your uterus to actually respond. And so I was like, okay, you know, whatever. I, and everyone was like, you need to let go, and you need to trust. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to let go, and I'm just going to trust these providers. So they gave me two, you know, two milliliters or whatever that unit is of Pitocin, and then they increased it to every 30 to 60 minutes, and they only maxed it out at 10. So that made me feel better. It's like, okay, there is a maximum, and it's lower than usual. So they maxed it at 10, and we switched providers, which the, the original provider, she had told me, like, okay, we just need to be realistic. You have a less than 50% chance of success with the VBAC, but we'll, you know, give it a try. And I was like, okay, thank you. Um, like, I don't know that already. <laughs> so then this new uh, OB came at 7 in the morning, and she seemed a little more doubtful. She's just like, whatever, we're just going to let this woman labor. And so <laughs> so she checked me, and I was at 3 centimeters or 4 centimeters. And then a few hours later, she checked me, and she's like, let's see if this lady's progressed. And she came out, she's like, oh, she's 6 centimeters. And everyone just in the room explodes. <laughs> it was everyone's loud. so happy. <laughs> Yeah, we were like screaming because I'd never hit six centimeters before. You know, four centimeters had been my max with my first. And then with my second, I'd only gone to one centimeter. So six centimeters, everyone was super happy. And we, and then my midwife gave the most beautiful prayer, leaving everyone in tears. And she was just so grateful that we'd gotten this far. So everyone just starts calming down. Everyone's like, okay, we got to sleep. We're going to get ready for for labor. So everyone's got to sleep. We're going to get food. So my husband and my mom went to the cafeteria to get food, and I was just laying, which, oh my gosh, my team had been rebozoing me this entire time. <laughs> like, they were shaking my Megan's apples. Megan's secret weapon. I had, <laughs> I know. Shake, it, <laughs> shake them apples. <laughs> so I, I had, when I, my epidural was out of 10, I slept great, but then I woke up and I couldn't move my legs. And I hated that, and I really wanted to move my legs, so they turned it, the anesthesiologist was awesome, he just came in, he's like, great, we'll put it down at 7, so he put it down at 7, and then I was able to move my legs, I went and I laid on the back of the bed, you know, on my knees, so I was on my knees, laying on, leaning on the back of the bed, which I couldn't move my legs, like, too much, like, people had to move them for me, kind of, but I couldn't move, which is what I wanted, and so... So I was leaning on the back of the bed while my doula and well, my doula and midwife and mom and husband switched off apples, you know, doing shaking my apples. And then I laid down and then they would rebozo me because I was like laying on the rebozo and then they pulled me mm-hmm. forward, like gently shaking me, kind of like gently just pulling me forwards and back. And then um, my you, my contractions would couple mm-hmm. until they would start rebozoing me and then they would be consistent instead. <laughs> Dan and, and I were like, stopped. every single time we stopped, 
down and be like, oh, and I'd be like, yep, there they are again. I'm like, I will you literally rebozo until this, <laughs> I will just rebozo you during pushing. <laughs> Not really, but I was like, we will do it until this stops. Yeah. I know. And like, I was like, you guys are birthing this baby with me. Like we birthed this baby. <laughs> so awesome. By, by myself. It was awesome. Yeah. So they would rebozo me when I coupled and then finally they were like pretty regular. So then we just did the extended sims or whatever so i would get the peanut ball yeah exaggerated yeah and so they got the peanut ball put it under my right leg my with my left leg extended and i was like on my chest flat on my chest pretty much with my right leg on the peanut ball and my contractions were great and so two hours after that ob said that i was six centimeters i felt little tiny fingers like in my vagina it felt like little fingers in my vagina and i was like whoa that's weird but then i was like oh, i'm just gonna ignore it and then I felt it again. I felt little, like little tiny fingers in my vagina. Now I was like, I was like, Roxana, midwife, midwife, please, can you get some gloves on or something? You have to check me. I think my baby's coming out, and or there's something in my vagina, and you mm-hmm. have to check it. And I really wanted to stick my fingers inside myself and feel it, but I was like, my waters are ruptured. I'm not sanitized. I don't want to introduce anything. So then, the midwife, she was like, well, we're at the hospital. I can't check you anymore. Let's call the nurse. So that we call the nurse in, she puts the glove on, she checks me, and she's like, oh my gosh, you're complete, and your baby's coming out. And I <laughs> just, like, burst into tears. Like, I was bawling. I couldn't believe or fathom that my body had made it. And Dan, Dan and your mom had just left. So we were, like, yeah, calling them, like, here. come back, come back. <sighs> yep. They left to get food. And he said that right when you called, they had, like, just paid yeah so they had their food and everything and then megan called and he was like oh my gosh she's pushing we have to go so they like sprinted down the hospital and back into the room and then everyone's like no 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 like she's not she's pushing not right pushing. now like, she's just, just ready, ready to push <laughs> yeah dad was like she's gonna push <laughs> so they gave me hand sanitizer and so i started like i was able to feel her head they're like that little mm. baseball's your baby and i was like oh my gosh I still couldn't imagine her coming out because I was like, she is surrounded by bone and then she just feels like a quarter. Like she feels like a, the size of a quarter. Like how is she able to get through my bones? But they were like, oh, it'll happen. Like, yeah, you just push her out. And so then the OB started coming and the OB had a resident with her and they all got suited up. And then they wanted me, I wanted to push squatting, but they told me that they wouldn't be able to assist as much. <sighs> And yeah. and she was kind of a stickler on that too. She's like, nope, uh, I cannot allow that. I was like, yes, you can. <laughs> Choosing not to. But they were like, well, we can't assist you as much, but you can be lying on the, like I was sitting on the bed and then Megan and my husband were holding my legs. So I was mm-hmm. like, it's called like an upright squat or something. Yeah. And so, so they were holding my legs and then they were a lot more involved than I thought they would be. The resident was like, had this bowl of oil and she was like scooping this oil and like shoving it in my vagina and just like massaging everything and stretching it out. And they told me to do some practice pushes. And so I did some practice pushes and then and they were like, wow, you're doing great. Your baby's coming out. And I was like, if she's coming out, how are these practice pushes? Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. But then they told me the OB was already and they were like, okay, you can start pushing now. And so started pushing and they were telling me to they were counting because I couldn't feel anything like mm. some apparently some people feel the urge to push but I did not have like with an epidural and I did not have that and so every time I'd have a contraction they were like okay push and then they'd count one two three four five six seven eight nine ten which it was a long time I was like oh my goodness I need to 
to bear down for that long. But so I was pushing when they told me to push. And then all of a sudden, it was like they threw all caution to the wind, and they were like, push, push. You need to push right now. You need to push right now. You need to get this baby out. And I was so confused. I was like, why are you telling me to push? Every time I look at the monitor behind me, her heartbeat was doing, it was at like 150. And I was like, why are they freaking out? They need to calm down. I'm going to tear. Like, why are they telling me to shove her out? But then finally, my midwife, Roxana, she was like, honey, just listen to them you need to get this baby out. You need to push. And I was like, okay, my midwife is telling me that's not just the OB is being ridiculous. So I'm going to push this dang baby out and so fast. And so I just went and I pushed. And so I only had like 18 minutes of pushing. And then she came out and she was like, she was, I don't know if she was blue, but she was purple and she wasn't crying. So hmm. they just like, they said later, they just used me as a table. Like they just put my baby on my belly and I was, like, rubbing her and, like, you know, smacking her and, like, come on, Harper, you need to cry, you need to cry, like, you need to just breathe, like, um, and so that one was a little nerve-wracking, but I knew she was, like, I knew she was fine. I was just, like, come on, you need to, you need to cry, and so then, and they, like, called the NICU team or something over, and so, because later my husband told me that he saw her heart rate drop down to the 20s and I was like whoa well why didn't they mm -hmm. tell me and he was like well they didn't want you to be freaking out so mm -hmm. they were just telling you to push yeah so they I did tear in three places which I had no idea that labias labias labias, labias. Tear, but I yeah but I tore both of them and then I also tore you know in the back and so they only had to stitch two of the tears but I was a little frustrated, but I was just, oh my gosh, I was on cloud nine. I was the happiest person that has ever existed because I couldn't believe that I had pushed my baby out of my vagina. <laughs> and I never, never felt like, oh, I'm going to do this to prove all those OBs wrong. But when she came out, I was like, suck it, OBs. Like, <laughs> Why were you telling me I couldn't do this? I had to work so hard for this stupid thing because you didn't believe in me. And so it was just so... Ah, so empowering and so awesome. And I never wanted to say that like, oh, a birth healed me because I think you should heal from a birth without another birth. But holy crap, it is cleansing to have a baby come out of you. And it is just awesome. And that mm -hmm. is when I realized, wow, this is why so many midwives and so many women push to have women get as much chance as they can to deliver vaginally. And why women who get C-sections shouldn't just roll over and assume they need a C-section next time. Like, yes. you always try for vaginal delivery. And it was, uh, the recovery, that is a joke. I was like, vaginal delivery? You don't need a recovery? Like, yeah, there are stitches in my vagina, but they're down there. Like, I can hardly feel them. And so this is nothing compared to something in my abdomen where I can't even move without feeling pain and being reminded of it. And so now I know that, you know, there's definitely other women who have way harder vaginal um, recoveries but my midwife had told me before like for the first three days you need to just sit on that bed and breastfeed your baby you do not get up and, and unless you need to go to the bathroom and stuff mm -hmm. and so I really just you know listened to even though I was like what even with the c-section you have to get up and walk like that's so weird she was like yeah just like walk to the bathroom but that's it and so, <laughs> so I really focused on healing and just listening to what everyone was saying and you know, allowing my body to heal, because she did say if you have those three days of doing nothing, then your chances of postpartum depression greatly go down, and your healing goes so much faster and smoother, so I was like, okay, if she says that works, then that works, and so, but it was, I was like three days and a week, and then like now I'm three weeks postpartum, and I feel 
amazing, like better than months after my C-sections. So anyways, I definitely think everything was worth it, even though we spent like as much as we would have on a C-section with all the chiropractors and structural integrators and hypnotherapists. It was like thousands of dollars going into this, but it wasn't like I'm healthier, like my baby came out great. Like it was absolutely every effort was worth it. And, you know, five days of labor, people, some people would say, oh, I just go for the C-section. And I'm like, no, five days of labor is nothing compared to months mm-hmm. of recovery after a major abdominal surgery. So yep. it was so, so gorgeous and beautiful. And I just felt so connected because, you know, all my life, I kind of felt disconnected from, from women. Like I felt like, I don't know. It was just weird. And like, even when I first met Megan, she was like, so like she'd curl her hair and she'd look so pretty and like so peppy. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if I jive well with that vibe. But then, um, but then my, you know, you know, I'd prayed about it and it was like, you need her. Like you need Megan. And I was like, yep. okay, I'll trust everyone. And, needs I, Megan. I'd felt like, I <laughs> and I felt the connection like through messaging I was like, okay, I need to just, I knew she was right before I met her and I met her and she's really nice. So I'm just gonna, you know, I'll just trust my instinct or whatever. And then she was the exact thing that we needed. And it's like, you kind of have to, as a doula, you have to go in with makeup and stuff because if you're there for three days, (laughs) (laughs) I can come out the other side looking pretty (laughs) gnarly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A little tired. Like when I met her, she'd just gone through like, or not when I met you, one of the prenatal visits you'd like been in been with a mom like all night and you're like yeah I got home at four in the morning and I was like oh my god (laughs) and so it's just doulas have to go through a lot and and my my husband because at first he hated the idea of a doula he thought doula would replace him yeah because he's super involved with my labors and he didn't like the idea of a doula coming in and taking his place and he just didn't think she would do much. She'd just be a waste of money. And now she like, earned oh. it. <laughs> I didn't hope he would consider me as his friend now. <laughs> He's like, every person should have a doula, especially first time moms. Because if we had a doula, then we wouldn't have had a C-section. And mm. so now he's like the biggest advocate for doulas. <laughs> He loves them so much. So, anyways, doulas are awesome, worth every penny. And also, he questioned the birth photographer, but you know, I got a birth photographer to have pictures on my blog, and I was like, this is happening. But now he really enjoys the pictures, even though we haven't gotten all the pictures yet. It's like, come on. But she's still <laughs> editing them, but she was awesome. So, anyways, all this stuff is worth it. And the VBAC link is awesome. And get Aww. a doula, get a midwife, everything. Yep get everything yeah yeah and and i love i i just saw him i saw him change over these months and it was really fun it was really fun to see Mm -hmm. him and he was just an amazing support person and yeah and you know and doulas obviously like you know we're we're advocates for doulas we are doulas um but we have we have personally had doulas change (laughs) our birth experiences too and yep um we have a blog all about it we talk about um about doulas and the benefits of them and we have a special episode number five from our husbands and then we have another special episode i think it's a seven seven eight seven seven yeah um with birth partners talking about it as well so yeah birth doulas are amazing they say they actually save money a lot of the time Mm -hmm. because they do avoid cesareans doulas help births go a little quicker they're usually 
educated in their area. And so they do kind of know the hospitals or the birth centers and the midwives and and what those certain places offer and what they don't offer. They're aware of other things and have other ideas that maybe other support people don't. And overall, doulas improve the birth outcomes and satisfactions of satisfaction. Satisfaction. Yep. Satisfaction. 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 (laughs) I don't know what I was saying. Say it again, I was saying satisfaction is what I was saying. Yes, you were. Yeah. Satisfaction. That's what I'm saying (laughs) Um, during their birth experience. So we highly encourage you to check out our blog, thevbacklink.com slash blog. We have a myth-busting blog all about it. And Kimberly, we are so grateful for you. And I was so honored to be a part of your experience. I actually was just with your photographer yesterday. We were talking all about it. And she said that she just was blown away and couldn't believe everything that happened and was so grateful to be a part of it as well. So thank you for sharing your story. And we know that you're going to inspire so many out there. And um, yeah, we're excited. And you have a podcast too, that's potentially coming out here um so yes so um yeah i go to is your instagram the barefoot mama it's barefoot mama blog barefoot mama blog so go to her instagram and find out if her podcast and her blog read her blog her words are inspiring her education is incredible this girl knows her stuff so check her out and it's barefoot like b-e-a-r yes b-e-a-r like bear bear. oh like a bear yeah bear foot my last name is barfus and barfus is swiss german for bear's paw or barefoot. So. Oh, cool. That's awesome. B-E-A-R foot. Foot. Mama. M-A-M-A. Yep. Blog. Mm-hmm. On Instagram. Yeah, on Instagram and Facebook, it's Barefoot Mama blog, but then my blog is barefootmama.com. Yeah. It's just Barefoot Mama was taken on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> so she's Barefoot Mama. mama. So go check her out. She's inspiring and has awesome tips as well. So, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to thevbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.